0: Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Oundle, spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. Thank you. Um, Well, if in case anybody doesn't know, my name is Angie and I've been around in the church for quite a good few years now, probably decades. And today I'd like to talk about the promise of a Messiah. Um, The Jewish people have been, and some are, still looking for a Messiah. Messiah in Hebrew means anointed one, and in the Greek it's Christ, so it's the same thing. And As far back as Genesis, we hear of a coming Messiah. And as we look today, I'm not proposing to go through the entire Old Testament because I know you want to get home for your Christmas dinner, but I'm picking out some verses that tell us about the coming Messiah, who he is and who the Jews were looking for. So back in Genesis 3, chapter 15, after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, God said this to the serpent. He said, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wide, wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So even as far back as the Garden of Eden, we have a promise that God is going to send a redeemer. He's going to send someone who will crush serpent's head, the Satan's head. And even back in the time of Job, which is one of the earliest books, he said, "I know that my redeemer lives." And he will stand upon this earth. And when my skin is destroyed, in my flesh I will see God. So they're looking for a redeemer. They're looking for a Messiah, as God had promised. And we know that God then created the nation of Israel from Abraham. And for hundreds of years, throughout the the Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, there are messages about this Messiah that is to come. So we're going to just explore who were they looking for? Who did they expect to come? They expected somebody who would come from the line of David. And we all love reading genealogies, don't we? I find the ones in the Old Testament quite a struggle. But if you read Matthew, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel, the genealogy of Jesus's earthly heritage, you will see that they trace his heritage back to David. and it was very important or through David's line, it was very important to the Jews that this Messiah would be the son of David. And David was probably the greatest king and he had a son called Solomon who was great as well. and this Messiah was going to sit on David's throne as it was prophesied. And that's who they were looking for. They expected him, I think, to come to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem and to bring God's kingdom about on this earth. He did come through David's line and he will sit on David's throne and he will bring God's rule on the earth. But the kingdom of God, as we always say, is now, but not yet. And prophecy often relates to the the time and it relates to the future and it all dovetails together. But it's very interesting that Jesus himself quizzed the Pharisees and the teachers of the law about the fact that they expected the Messiah to be the son of David because in Matthew 22 he said to them, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, "'What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he?' "'The son of David,' they replied. He said to them, "'How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord?' For he says, "'The Lord said to my Lord, "'Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. "'If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son?' No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. They were expecting another king like David. But Jesus is telling them that, yes, okay, he came through David's line, but he is so much more than another king like David. He is greater than David. I think we sing in one of our carols, great David's greater son. Because he is very God himself. And all the way through the Old Testament, we get hints as to who he's going to be. Even in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 6, do you remember when the wise men came? And they're looking for someone who is born king of the Jews because they've seen the star. And they think the obvious place to look for a king is in Herod the Great's palace. And Herod, when he hears about another king, is not very happy because he thinks, well, someone's come to take his place. So he gets his teachers of the law to look in the scriptures and they knew their scriptures very well because they tell him that Micah the prophet, who was actually writing 700 years before the birth of Jesus says to them that you bethlehem in the land of judah are by no means least among the rulers of judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people israel and this is absolutely amazing because later on When the Pharisees, and I think they would have sent people from the temple in Jerusalem to assess Jesus when they heard what he was doing. They were trying to ascertain whether he was the Messiah. And one of the things that tripped them up was that they knew Jesus came from Nazareth. So they said he can't be the Messiah because he's not from Bethlehem. But you see, God had planned it that he would be born in Bethlehem. Who knew that Caesar Augustus would decide to have a census so that all the people had to go back to their hometown where their family came from. So Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem. So he was, it was fulfilled the scripture that he would be born in Bethlehem. God is in control, and if God says something in his word, he does it. He brings it about, and we can't fathom it out, but God can, and God knows, and God fulfills his word. Amazing. So who did they think this Messiah would be then? What were they looking for? So we're going to look at some verses in Isaiah, which are always read out at Christmas, and You know them very well, and some of them have been read even this morning. So in chapter 7, verse 14, we read of Isaiah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. So he was to be born of a virgin. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew, he always quotes the Old Testament, because he's writing for Jews, and he's telling them, Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. Jesus fulfilled what God said he would. So he's born of a virgin, and he was called Emmanuel. Now, we know he was called Jesus, but Emmanuel is a title that means God with us. If you think how amazing that is, that this baby in that manger is God. I love that song. I don't know if you know it. Mary, did you know? And they sing... When you kissed your baby's face, you kissed the face of God. And she was holding him, but he was holding the world together. How amazing that God himself should come and be born as a, a helpless baby, dependent on Mary and Joseph to bring him up. And he literally was God with us, God in that stable, God in the land with his people. What else did they expect the Messiah to be? Well, in turning over to chapter 9, we read in verses 6 and 7, we've had this this morning, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called... Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, he was going to be... Wonderful counselor. If we need wisdom, Jesus has the wisdom that we need. He is mighty God walking the earth as a man. He is the everlasting father. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always faithful, always true. In all our circumstances, he is there. And he's the prince of peace. Now, if you look around on the earth today, we don't see very much peace. We see war. We see cost of living crisis, we see people worried and concerned. And yet Jesus is the Prince of Peace because the kind of peace he brings is the peace that passes all understanding. It's the knowing that underneath are the everlasting arms and whatever happens, he will be faithful. He will never let go of us. And if we belong to him, he will sustain us and he will give us that peace in our very core of our being because he is the Prince of peace. And the government is on his shoulders. He is reigning at his father's right hand in heaven at this time. But it's the now and the not yet because the kingdom has not yet fully come. We see the kingdom in each of our lives. We see the kingdom come as people are saved. But one day, I fully believe that he will come. Jesus will come through the clouds and he will Set his foot upon the earth, and every eye shall see him, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will reign on David's throne because it says it, He will. And then in Isaiah 11, we read about a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse was David's father, and at the time of Isaiah, he was prophesying about how the kingdom of Judah, because by then Israel had split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, and Israel was taken off to Assyria, and Judah was going to be taken off to Babylon. It was assimilated into the Babylonian empire, so the royal house of David was in effect just a cut off stump. It was no more. They may have still had kings, but they were puppet kings to the Babylonians. And he says, but a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. There will be someone else come from David's line. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. You see, Jesus has all understanding and wisdom. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. He will walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. He will know what's what. He will have all the wisdom, and he won't go by what he sees. He will be the one who will come, and he came to earth as a baby, and as he grew, he did what he saw his father doing because he had all the wisdom and he had the spirit without measure. And we come, as we, on our jaunt through Isaiah, we get to Isaiah 42, and there are certain passages, without getting too technical, in Isaiah which are called the servant songs. And people have written about who is the servant, And sometimes it appears to be the nation of Israel who were God's servant. But some of them clearly refer to Jesus. And this one in Isaiah 42, God says, "'Here is my servant whom I hold, my chosen one in whom I delight.'" I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth and in his teaching the islands will put their hope. There's so much there that can speak to us. He won't shout. He won't cry out. He won't break a bruised reed. He won't snuff out a smouldering candle. Sometimes we feel like a bruised reed. We feel like a smouldering candle. We feel like we can't hold on much longer, God. We need you but he will not snuff you out. If that is your situation today, he will not snuff you out. He will strengthen you. He will bring encouragement to you. He will help you. He's not a brutal dictator. He cares for the poor. He cares for the lonely. He cares for those who are struggling because that is who he is. And he will ultimately bring justice. He hates injustice. He hates To see people poor and to see people treated badly, he will bring about justice. He will, and it says here, in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. And the teachings of Jesus, you know, have never been surpassed. Nobody has ever come up with anything that is greater than, say, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. And you may have heard of a man called Voltaire who was a French philosopher and he hated God and he wrote against Christianity all the time. And he said, he died in 1778, but he said in 1776, you know, within a century, the Bible will be obsolete. There'll be a Bible in a museum and people will go and look at it as an antique curiosity. 50 years after he died... They were printing Bibles in the very house he'd lived in. In fact, I think they were even using his own printing press that he had used to print all this stuff that was anti-God. You see, who has the last word? You cannot thwart God. He is working his purposes out. He will always be true to his word, and nobody can ever thwart him. That's your opinion, Voltaire, but... God has the last word. And I want to come to the passage that the Jews find very difficult to read, and they don't read it. Who is this Messiah? What's he going to be? You see, Isaiah 53 has some amazing things to say about this servant, and they don't tie in at all with what the Jews would expect their Messiah to be. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Hollywood used to make films about Jesus and very often he had, he looked like, he looked a bit Swedish, he had blonde hair and blue eyes. He was Jewish. He wouldn't have had blonde hair and blue eyes. I once saw a magazine cover where they tried to actually get a picture of what Jesus was like. And he had, I don't know how they did it, but he he had um, curly dark hair and a bit of a big nose, you see, because he was Jewish. He he would not have been somebody that people would have drawn to. I think, oh, isn't he handsome? He had nothing in his appearance, so he would look like probably an ordinary rabbi. And he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Well, he was born into an oppressed nation where the Romans ruled and they could just take somebody and say, carry my pack for a mile. He was like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. You see, they would have hid their faces especially when they'd whipped him in, at his trial, especially when they'd put the crown of thorns on his head, especially when they'd mangled him so much, he would, he would have been someone that who, people would turn away because crucifixion was horrible. It's the worst way to die. And the Romans actually stopped it later on because it was too cruel. But it says, surely he took up our pain. And bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. You see, in the Jewish law, in the Torah, it says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, which Jesus did. But that curse that he took on that tree, on that cross, was the curse of sin. And he bore it all for us. This is who he came to be. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the present that God gave us at Christmas. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He didn't try and talk his way out of it when they brought him to trial. He didn't say, do you know who I am? He didn't say, I'm innocent. He just allowed them to condemn him to death. Like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? The disciples, most of them apart from John, ran away. They were scared. They thought they'd get the same treatment. He didn't have anybody really to stand up for him. They ran away. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He was crucified between two criminals. And Joseph of Arimathea, who was a very rich man, came and took the body and buried him in his own cave that he'd set aside for a tomb for himself. So he was buried with the rich. You see, God always does what he says. And it, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, it says, doesn't it, in the, in the Gospels, that they cast lots for his clothing. And that's even said in the Psalms, they'll cast lots for the clothing because he had a gown that they didn't want to rip up. So the Roman soldiers had a game of dice to see who could win it. And that's all in the scriptures. You see, God had it all worked out. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So we see that Jesus was not the Messiah that the Jews were expecting and they can't come to terms with this passage but some of them, our understanding now, who he is. I heard of a, a speaker who went to Israel and he was um, in the back of the taxi and the taxi driver turned round and said to him, did we kill the Messiah? Well, the answer to that is no, because it was actually the Romans that crucified him, but the Jews wanted him dead. But it whether or not they did is immaterial because it was all in God's plan. He came to die on that cross. He came to lay down his life that we might be forgiven. He wasn't what the Jews were expecting. He wasn't the Christmas present, if you like, that they wanted. They wanted a king who would reign on David's throne. They wanted someone who would probably kick out the Romans. But he came as a humble rabbi who offered up his life for us and it reminds me of that book you know c.s lewis the lion the witch and the wardrobe had that read to me as a child and it made an impact on me and if you know it you know that aslan the lion is taken to the stone table and killed by the white witch But what she didn't understand was that there was a deeper magic that if someone who was innocent would die for the guilty, then death would be conquered and forgiveness would come and there would be abundant life poured out. And it's the same with Jesus. Satan probably didn't understand. It says if he'd understood, he wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But there was a... Deeper magic, or a, not a deeper magic, but a deeper plan of God. And so, this is a wonderful gospel that Jesus, the very God Himself, who it was prophesied all through the scriptures, would come, would die, would lay down His life that you and I might live. And that's the real celebration of Christmas. But I want to say something. That I think may apply to some of us here, that just like the Jews didn't get, if I might put it like this, the Christmas present they were expecting, I know they don't celebrate Christmas but you know what I mean, it may be that you or I might sometimes feel we don't get what we expect from God. Maybe there's some area in our lives where we've prayed and asked God to do something and he... Maybe he hasn't done it or maybe he's done something and it's not what we were expecting. Like if you get a present on Christmas morning and it's very nice, but it's not really what I really wanted. I want to assure you that Isaiah also says that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And in all his plans and purposes, he will always work out what is best for us. So if that's you today, I'd like to just pray for you that you would know that God's plans and his purposes are the best that they can be for you. And even though it might seem that this isn't what you wanted, this isn't what you hoped for, God is still in it. He's still faithful. He still loves you. He's still for you. And He's he only wants the very best for you, just like they weren't expecting the Messiah to be a suffering servant. They weren't expecting him to die like that. But God knew God had a deeper plan, a better plan. And it may be that in our circumstances, God might have a better purpose that we can't understand at the moment. So Lord, as we, we come to the end of this, we thank you so much that you were prepared to come in that humble environment, and just lay down your life for us. And we thank you that we can know that no matter what our circumstances are, you promise never to leave us or forsake us, and that you have plans for us, which your word says are to do us good and not to do us harm, to prosper us and to give us a hope and a future. And we say that Even though we can't see the end from the beginning, we know that you can. We know that you're working your purposes out. And we know that you will always be faithful and never let us go. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church.